Word Radio On Demand, 96.1 FM and 900 AM WURD. Streaming live at wordradio.com. I want to welcome to the program Dr. Marcus Bright. Dr. Bright is an author and the vice president of higher education for Renaissance Search and Consulting. He has nearly two decades of experience working with institutions, organizations, and communities to build partnerships and put processes in place that generate access, opportunities, and resources for socioeconomic mobility. Dr. Bright published two books, not one, folks, two books in 2023. The first is Brighter Ways Forward, Reflections on Sports, Tech, and Socioeconomic Mobility. Um, and, and the other is bridges to a brighter future, fulfilling our purpose and transforming our society. Great work. He's also, I mean, I can't even read all of his accolades. I just, I just want to welcome to the program, Dr. Marcus Bright. Hey, thank you so much for having me. It's an honor to be here. Hey, it's, it's an honor to have you on, good brother. And, you know, you, you, you know, this is my first week, uh, taking over and sitting in the seat here. And you were one of the first people I wanted to have on, um, because of the great work that you do and, and obviously all the extraordinary writing. Uh, that, that, that you do, Dr. Bright. And so I, I, I wanna, I wanna talk about a couple, a, a couple of op-eds, uh, that you've written recently yeah. for diverse issues in, in, in higher education. And, you know, we're, we're, we've been having a lot of conversations. One of the reasons why we're still talking about King here, we had a huge King celebration all day yesterday on WRD. Um, and, and I just played my piece on Dr. King, uh, which is why some folks are responding, you know, and it's, it's, it's interesting too, right? Because, not everybody, you know, approves of Dr. King. Not everybody is like as supportive of, of King and, and what he meant, I think, to, to this nation and obviously to our community uh, as I am. But you wrote a really interesting opinion piece, um, um, uh, just a, a few days ago. I think it published called How the Work of Dr. King was about diversity, equity, and inclusion. So I wonder if you can kind of, you know, give us a little synopsis of that for, for, for our listeners. What, what's the argument that you're, that you're making there about Dr. King and DEI? Yeah, so obviously DEI was not in the nomenclature. It was not in the phraseology during his time. But I, I make the argument that his work was indeed about diversity, uh, inciting the, the coalition of, of people that he worked with, that he marched with, that, you know, one of his primary advisors is white, uh, Stanley Levinson. He, mm-hmm. he marched with Rabbi Abraham, Abraham Joshua Heschel. Uh, there was, there was a broad coalition of people that he worked with to help to pass legislation, but then, also a broad coalition of people that he worked for, the Poor People's Campaign. Mm-hmm. He was not just advocating for poor people in the black community, but he mentioned Puerto Ricans, he mentioned uh, even poor whites in Appalachia, Mexican-Americans, That's right. and what have you. Uh, but he was specific also about equity. Uh, he, mm-hmm. uh, we'd like to quote the I Have a Dream speech, mm-hmm. but earlier in that speech he talked about the check that was owed uh, to black Americans and the check that had come back marked insufficient funds. And that it had bounced in the bank of justice. Mm. And then he also talked about in a longer speech, really dealing specifically uh, with the need for reparative justice, as we're talking about uh, the check uh, and, and leading into the poor people's campaign, which was really uh, in his in his last year of life, uh, he was attempting to, to, to have a mass mobilization in Washington, D.C., among the nation's poor to pass transformative economic policy that would benefit the masses. Mm. And he said, and I quote, he said, at the very same time that the government refused to give the Negro any land through an act of Congress, our government was giving away millions of acres of land in the West and the Midwest, which meant it was willing to undergird its white peasants from Europe with an economic floor. Mm. So he's talking about 
uh, the, the, the generations of accrued advantage, uh, that whites were able to garner through legally, sponsored through legally, uh, subsidized wealth transfers That's that right. blacks were not able to benefit from. And therefore, equ- and therefore, we needed equitable treatment. We needed, uh, for some of those same things to be done, uh, even to this day. So he was about mm-hmm. equity and then he was about inclusion. Uh, he, and, and, and I have a dream speech. He talked about, uh, the, uh, the Negro being on an isolated island amidst the ocean of material prosperity. He was about, he was specifically about, uh, be, us being included, uh, socially through mm-hmm. the Civil Rights Act of 64, mm-hmm. politically through the, through the Voting Rights Act of 68, and then, uh, and then even in his last year in Chicago, and, uh, immediately after his passing, we saw, uh, the, the, the passage of the, of the, the, the Fair Housing Act, mm-hmm. which is about being included, uh, in the housing space, and then obviously, being included in the in the economic prosperity of the country. So he was indeed about diversity, equity, and inclusion. I mean, thank you for that breakdown, brother. I mean, I want a couple of follow-ups. I mean, one of the things I'm looking forward to doing here on Evening Words is <clears throat> having a regular kind of roundtable around DEI and talking about it and its importance and significance. And hopefully I'll be able to call on you to join that roundtable every once in a while to share some of your insights and some of your experiences. But I think of interest to our listeners because we, we end up, landing on or talking a lot about reparations on this program. And I think we'll continue to do that because I think for a lot of folks, you know, the the different things that we talk about, like racial justice, uh, political representation, even economic development itself, even if we have all those things, we're still not going to close some of the economic gaps that exist just because of the things that you just cited in your piece about land transfers to certain populations that that African-Americans were excluded from. So I wonder if you could talk a little bit about where you are. And I know reparations sometimes is a hotly debated kind of issue, but I wonder where you are on that issue. What do you think about it? You know, it, it, it seems to me that the, the it's, it trends towards coming up during presidential cycles. I don't know if it'll come up in this one, but but talk a little bit about your thoughts on, on reparations and the significance of it in, in the context of some of the things that you write about and work on every day. Yeah, I'm behind it 100 percent. But I think that it should not you cannot just have a proposal for reparations and then call that the black agenda. Mm. (laughs) And Mm. I propose reparations. I've I've uh, I have uh, chartered or or put forth legislation for reparations. Now, that's my agenda. No, we also we also it's a both and we also must deal uh, with many of the other issues at hand. Mm -hmm. And uh, I I want to. you know, I'm, I'm based in Miami, Florida, and there's a very, very, as it pertains to DEI, a very, very important uh, meeting that's going to take place uh, next week, or January 24th, I believe that's next week. Mm-hmm, next Wednesday. Uh, next Wednesday. Mm-hmm. Next Wednesday. And um, it's, 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 it's really dangerous. You know, um, they have, I think that Governor Ron DeSantis, our governor, has been the most aggressive about the efforts to, to attack and to dismantle Without DEI, question, are, without question, closely followed by by Governor Abbott in Texas, but but without question, DeSantis is the leader of that pack. Yeah, and there are two very very uh, concerning provisions that I think that you know you can say is Florida, uh, but you know as you know the reason why we're engaging with with Ukraine right now is because Russia has said that after we take Ukraine, we're going to take Poland and the Baltics. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. So so so. 
And if you do that, given that Poland is a, and the Baltics are NATO countries, then we're at war. That's right. So if this if this moves in Florida and higher education, it's coming to Philadelphia, it's coming to Pennsylvania, it's coming to to, to New Jersey. Well, Doctor Bright, DeSantis, uh, and, and, and the, the, DeSantis has done a lot of things. Well, tell me specifically what what you're meeting on next week. That that what's what's he doing now that that's raising the alarm for this convention next week? Yeah. So it has. So th- there's a Senate bill. And the Florida State legislature that passed, and so uh, there, it was kind of vague in terms of DEI not being allowed. But the the, the board of governors, which governs this, the public colleges and universities, they put forth some proposed regulations on their meeting on November 9th. Mm-hmm. And among the proposed uh, regulations are it bars institutions from engaging in quote any program, policy, or activity that attempts to equalize or increase outcomes, participation, or representation as it pertains to other individuals or groups. This means that even if you see a a gross disparity, there can be zero black contractors at a university. There's nothing you can do about it. There is not a a targeted or intentional action that you can do about it. Not only that, not only that, another part of the legislation takes away your right to even advocate for what is right. So it's, it does that by it bans what they call political or social activism. They define this as any activity organized with a purpose of effecting or preventing change to a government policy, action or function or any activity intended to achieve a desired result related to social issues. So you can't even advocate if there is if there's a societal need. Right. You can't even advocate for if you do, we'll defund you. Wow. And so it is a it is a gross uh, violation, in my opinion, of the First Amendment. Right, Doctor King said in, in the mountaintops. We somewhere I read of the freedom of speech. Somewhere I read of the freedom <laughs> of assembly. Somewhere I read of the freedom of the press. That would be the U.S. Somewhere Constitution. College and university campuses in Florida. Mm, mm, mm. So, Doctor Bright, yeah, this is this is yeah, part of so, this is part of what so you this it, is it's, it's Florida. Yeah, this is part of what you were referring to as the pillars of resistance against DEI initiatives. And and you're right. This is a national thing. First of all, I mean, DeSantis came in second yesterday in the Iowa caucus, and that's important, right? I mean, it's not just that it's it's in Florida. This this man is running to be the president of the United States. So so thinking about his policies in Florida, I hope will challenge us to think about what kind of policies he would implement at the executive level. But this is part of what you're calling the pillars of resistance against DEI initiatives. And I and I see this and I I, want, I wonder what you think about this. So we we've seen we've saw what happened to former President Claudine Gay. And I know folks think that that's caught up in like anti-Semitism and other things, but it really is a part of this DEI backlash. And you can see it creep around the edges of various instances where black folks and or women in these exceptional roles, if they make a mistake or perceived mistake, you know, all the questions about their capabilities come to the fore, no matter what the issue is. And so as, as, as you're seeing that the, these pillars of resistance against successful DEI initiatives, how do we push back? I mean, you guys are getting together in Florida to handle your, 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 your crazy governor, but across the nation, from your perspective, your experience, how do we think about and how do we sort of push back against the resistance? Cause if, you know, I do enough DEI work to know that it's really like the pendulum swings, right? Like something like George Floyd happens and everybody has all this talk. And then a couple of years later, it swings to the exact opposite of that, right? Now everybody, nobody wants to do anything. No, there's a lot of there were a lot of promised uh, uh, inclusion and equity checks f- from from 2020. 
that were that were that were bounced in the in the in the in the in the analogy for for Martin Luther King. So what what are what are you? I'm sure you're working on this, but what are you doing, and what do you encourage folks to do? to meet that those pillars of resistance against initiatives that are trying to be more inclusive of people in our community? Well, I think that, you know, there's a narrative battle that we have to win. Uh, part of the reason why DeSantis and others were able to advance this, and he's being assisted and aided and funded uh, by people like Bill Ackman, is that they, they were able to put forth a counter-narrative that DEI is discriminatory, mm-hmm. and that narrative has begun to gain traction and it has somehow become dominant in some spaces. And then, uh, and then these policies have been, have been made based on the narrative. So I think that mm-hmm. we have to have um, a mass mobilization and mass awareness and be able to break through, uh, the Cat Williams interview and, uh, what's going on with <laughs> Offset and Cardi B and, and, and all of the celebrity and all of the mm-hmm. celebrity gossip and, mm-hmm. and banter that dominates a lot of our conversation and really break this down, break DEI down to how it affects our day-to-day lives. I think that many of us hear diversity and inclusion, and we think that it's just a, a sensitivity training that when they have no issues about your job. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. M- many people have jobs uh, that they wouldn't even look at your resume had someone not advocated, had there not been a whole movement to make people even give give us a shot. DEI right. gave us a shot in many instances uh, as we... As we are still on the spirit of Dr. King, you know, one of his last thrusts in the city of Chicago and other, and really it started right there in Philadelphia with Leon Sullivan Operation Breadbasket. Mm-hmm. That was, they didn't want to hire us. <laughs> Folks didn't want to, they like, like we, we had to organize and, and discipline our dollars and boycott certain companies, uh, that were doing business in our community, particularly, uh, because they wouldn't hire us. Mm-hmm. Uh, 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 we, we wouldn't get many of our, of the black millionaires and billionaires and big time business owners uh, would not be there if they didn't get a government contract, if they didn't get a piece of a, of a, of a New York state pension fund mm-hmm. or, or, or what have you. And so, or even, or even many of the jobs that we have, I think that the, the reason why I'm saying that we have to really watch these issues and mobilize in places like Florida, other places, uh, and really punch back wherever we can. And as often as we can, uh, is because we're, I think we're, we're on a course if unabated that, and, and U.S. Senator Rick Scott has already put forth that he wants it to be illegal for the government to, to collect any race based data. Mm, mm, mm. And so they don't even want to collect the data. And so if they don't, ha- if they, if these institutions, if these corporations, if they don't have to report any kind of diversity data, it can go on back to the good old boy closed system mm-hmm. of, of, of limited opportunity and it not and it not only hurts us but it, it hurts America uh, because you because you by thwarting efforts uh, and diversity you thwart, you thwart innovation and we fall behind as a country so I think that uh, making the case continuing to make the case uh, in terms of how it affects black folk people of color but then also how it affects the broader society mm-hmm. we have to, we have to really just make this case and be consistent about it and I think it's a potential to to uh, when I when I pick up here, uh, when I get off here, I'm gonna make some calls and see who we can get uh, uh, to Tallahassee to, to even have a presence. But they have there has mm-hmm. to be some kind of resistance. There has to be a counter narrative. There has to be some kind of pushback. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, make sure you call my cousin Chris Norwood. I'm sure he can help you out and getting folks to Tallahassee around around there. You know Chris. You know you know how he moves in, in Florida. So make sure you give him a call. <laughs> 
on a board. <laughs> I know Chris very well. I'm a, ironically, I'm a, he's on he's on a board with me at the Miami Dade Economic Advocacy Trust. That's right. Yeah. Yes. But, but get him. Any, anytime you're talking about Tallahassee, you know that's 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 a good guy to, to call in 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 your city, uh, Doctor Bray. I got I got to let you go. But thank you so much for 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 joining us here. And again, brother, I'm serious. I hope you will join us again to share some of your insights and talk more about your important work. Anytime. Thank you so much for having me, Brother Peter. Thank you. You've been listening to Word Radio On Demand. Listen live at 96.1 FM, 900 AM, and online at wordradio.com.